Why do you want to fight? This is the fight game with Demond Cotton. Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting edition of the fight game on twelve thirty. The game. I'm your host, Damon Cotton, and I say it each and every week. But there is so much to talk about in the world of combat sports. Where do we begin? UFC two eighty eight was a banger this past weekend. I mean, I enjoyed the card from start to finish. Just this entire weekend was a banger of a weekend. My Saturday was jam-packed when it comes from VGK here in Vegas playing. My eyeballs just didn't have enough. My fan width was stretched to the limit. UFC 288, WWE Backlash, VGK was playing, Lakers Warriors, so much was going on this weekend. And, And that's not even just in the fight game. That is in the entire realm of sports. Canelo. Almost forgot about Canelo fighting this weekend. Like I said, the fan width was stretched to the max. But yes, we are going to start with UFC 288. And then we're going to be talking to one of the fighters competing in the co-main event at UFC Charlotte this weekend, Anthony Smith. Lionheart is going to be joining the show around 1230. Going to be excited to talk to him. And then... And then we're going to close out with some backlash. That's how we're going to do things here today on The Fight Game. But before we get started, I do want to give a special shout-out and salute to my intern from last summer. I I don't know if you guys remember Tobias Spotted Eagle. Joined me on the program. Helped me out a lot. Showing him the ropes, what it comes to in this media game. I was invited to Tobias's graduation From the Faith Lutheran School, their broadcasting and film section. I mean, for the school to have a broadcasting and film class where they learn so much. I was looking at these kids. They would show their highlights. These kids are far and ahead better than me at just about everything when I was in high school. One kid was so great, they just named an award after him. So you know you're doing special things when the school says, You've won every award, and you've been so great while you're in high school. We'll just name an award after you. But yes, when Toby, when he gave me the shout-out, when he said, hey, I learned a lot working with my good friend, Damon Cotton, I didn't grab it. It was one of those moments of who's cutting onions around here. It was great to be able to help out Toby. I mean, I'm going to have him on next week once he's officially done with high school. We're going to be talking about some of the things that transpired at UFC 288. More of a look ahead because he's a big Sugar Sean O'Malley guy. So I really want to get him on to talk about that because I know that he is one of the biggest sugar heads out there. I don't know what they call themselves, the the Sean O'Malley fans. I've talked to him a couple of times. Maybe if I get a chance to talk to Sean O'Malley again, I got to ask him, what do the Sean O'Malley fanatics, what do they call themselves? Because I know he is one of the most popular fighters in the UFC. But yes, like I said, we're going to get started with UFC 288. Let's ring the bell. And let's get started right there at the main event. Al Jermaine Sterling, Henry Cejudo, a five-round fight that went the distance for the UFC Bantamweight Championship. Al Jermaine Sterling retains his title in a little bit controversial fashion. I had him winning one, four, excuse me. I had him winning one, two, and four. 
Those are the rounds that I had him winning. Three and five, yes, I'll give those to Henry. One of the um, things that are really to be called into question, because I'm not someone that says, oh, man, he won, but it should have been closer, or it's either he won the fight or he didn't, because it's simple math. Do you give him three rounds over Henry? And yes, I do. But the round in question is round five because one of the judges gave the round to Sterling. And this is a round that I think that even Sterling will admit he was cruising. He knew that he had, was up enough on points that he won the, that he was winning the fight. At least that's what I thought. That's my interpretation of, of how Sterling handled that fifth and final round. Because Henry was trying to pour it on a little bit more. Henry was being more aggressive. But one judge still gave that round to Sterling. And that is something where you say, hmm, I don't know about that one, Chief. I really don't know about that one. But Sterling, we can talk about this round by round. The first round comes out putting the pressure on Henry. I mean, he was out striking him to me, but he still would go for the takedowns. Ended up getting two of the three takedowns that he attempted in that first round. But for me, I thought that Sterling, he had the better advantage on the feet. Where the takedowns, I know that that's a part of his game. I know that he wanted to show everyone that, hey, he's a wrestler as well, that he can wrestle just as well as Henry Cejudo. But to me, I didn't think that he needed to wrestle as much as he did because I, as me being an, an Aljo fan, I just didn't want to see him get caught in a, in a compromising position, in a position where, hey, you're, you're leaving yourself, you're going to set yourself up to be in a vulnerable position when it comes to Henry Cejudo while you're winning the fight on the feet. But still, to me, he took that first he took that first round hands down. Wasn't able to get a takedown in the second, but I still felt like he was doing enough when it came to the striking. Obviously, I think the leg kicks were working. Henry, the stance that he had, I know everyone saw the video from Conor McGregor after the fight where Conor was almost mocking him and and the way that he um and the way that he was standing, but yeah, where it just really didn't make too much sense the way that the way that uh, Henry's stance was where he was leaving himself open. But for me, for Henry, I think that he should have been more aggressive when it came to him attempting those takedowns. And I know that a lot of fans, they don't like it. I've seen a couple of Zabruder-type films of Aljo where he's on the ground, and it's a smart move where he's not – I'm not going to say that he's asking to get kneed in the head. He's not attempting to get soccer ball kicked. But it is that – it's that smart strategy of – it's either you're going to waste your energy or you're just going to hold my head down and I'm just going to rest for a little bit. Where I think Aljo, the game plan, was smart from the team, but I just wish he would have stayed on the feet a little bit more because, again, like I said, he didn't need to go for as many takedown attempts as he did. But once he was able to get Henry up against the fence, get some of that you excuse me, that MMA wrestling in where you don't need to be the biggest freestyle wrestler this isn't olympic wrestling that henry was good that henry excelled at aljo was able to win with his style of wrestling with that high pace with that pressure that he puts on in the early rounds and i think it was evident in the last couple of rounds where he was able to coast he was able to just coast in though in those last two rounds what well, still run one round four to me but in round five i do think that he coasted a little bit more because he knew that he had it in the back. I didn't think that the fight was as close as some. I didn't have Henry winning the fight. For even if, if someone, if you did have Henry winning, I wouldn't have said, hey, this was a robbery. But I still would have questioned how you got there. Aljamain Sterling is now still 
the King at 135. And the best thing that happened, I think the best part of the entire night, was, yes, the post-fight theatrics. Sean O'Malley, come on into the octagon. We get the war of words between Sean O'Malley and Aljermaine Sterling. Sean O'Malley wearing his Michael Jackson jacket, looking fly, looking like he's fresh off the set of Thriller, but no shirt underneath. And he takes off the jacket to get face-to-face with Aljo. And I will say, the size, the size difference there, the height difference, Sean O'Malley's looking quite a bit bigger than Al Jermaine Sterling. So, I mean, when those guys finally fight, I cannot wait to see that. But no, no, no. That's not what made the moment so great. That's not what made it such a viral moment as Sean O'Malley took off his jacket. Marab Davashvili is what made it so great putting on Sean O'Malley's jacket and just being right behind both guys as they're talking. Just right in the middle of it, right behind Joe Rogan, just smiling, having a good time. But then John O'Malley, he realizes once he's done, you know, okay, now they're going to go talk to Henry. It's time for me to get out of the octagon. I need my jacket back because I don't have on a shirt right now. And I'm sure that he didn't have a backup shirt just lying around. I'm sure somebody on his team probably would have given him the shirt off their back. But no, Sean O'Malley is looking for his jacket. And now what's he going to do? And it's Marab that has the jacket. And Marab, he was asked about it after from the guys over at Full Sin MMA. Shout out to them. But it's just... Hey, I, I just wanted that. I just wanted to wear the jacket. Nothing, nothing bad. He's like, it's a nice jacket. It looked better on me than it did on Sean. But then that that breeds a little bit of a kerfuffle, as then Aljo has to go and see what's going on between his teammate and his future challenger. And to me, what makes it so great is that all respect to the champion Aljamain Sterling. I do think that Marab Davashvili, the number one ranked contender in the bantamweight division is the best fighter in the bantamweight division. So for me, I know it's not going to happen, but I would love if somehow, if this was pro wrestling, if Aljermaine Sterling could say, hey, Sugar Sean O'Malley, before you get that shot at me, you got to run through the gauntlet and get through my partner, Marab Davashvili. That would be the best part for me because I do think that Marab is an absolute monster. At 135. But we've seen recently, since the fight's passed, Henry Cejudo, he started to call out Marab. And I know that he took the gloves off after the fight, but I think that Henry, he's not going to hang him up. After you know he worked so hard to come back and to train for this fight and the money that he obviously put into that camp, I think that it's reported or at least alleged around the MMA world that Henry is one of those fighters. He put in, He's putting a million dollars into a camp when it comes to how dialed in he gets ahead of a fight. So I don't think he's going to put all of that time and effort into a camp just to have this one fight. And a fight that was still pretty close. Even though I had Aljermaine Sterling winning the fight, it was still a pretty close fight. So it's not one where, hey, you got outclassed, you should have stayed retired after the first time. No, 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 no. He is definitely a guy that can still compete at the top at 135. He obviously said, hey, look at my frame. I'm too big to go down to 125. And Chael Sonnen said something very intriguing, is that maybe Henry, he was going to retire when he took off those gloves, but it took too long for them to get to him to interview him, and he sees the theatrics that's going around Sean O'Malley and Al Jermaine Sterling and Marab, and he thinks, I'm not going anywhere. And I'm not saying that that's all it took. It was that split-second decision for him to decide, no, 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 
I see what these guys are doing. I still want some of that. I still want to be a part of the action. But I do think that he changed his mind rather quickly because now he's calling out Marab, and I would love to see that fight as well. For me, make that five rounds. I don't want to see that be a co-main event somewhere. For Marab, he's the type of guy, after I saw what he did to Peter Jan, I want to see him fight five rounds every time because a three-round fight, I do think that would favor Henry. But, oh, man, if we can get Marab, Henry, five rounds, preferably in Vegas, Closer to me, I know I could make that fight. I would love to see that. But when it comes to that championship at 135, Aljamain Sterling, Sugar Sean O'Malley. When those guys were face-to-face, Sugar Sean had that height advantage. I don't know how Aljo is going to fare in that fight. I do think that it will be a tougher fight for him than Henry was. And whenever that fight happens, I don't know when it's going to happen. Hopefully it's later in the year, August, September, so that way... Aljo can rest up. You know, you want him to be fresh because speaking of fresh and the co-main event, we saw what happened when Gilbert Burns tried to come back, you know, fighting three times in the same year. We're not even halfway through the year, still in May. And Gilbert Burns fought in UFC 287 when he fought in Miami against Jorge Masvidal. And that felt like that was such a short time ago, but for Gilbert Burns to try to make that comeback, it turns out, in the first round, it looked like something wrong was wrong after the first round. Gilbert and Bilal Muhammad. This fight was five rounds. You don't see that too often for a co-main event fight. That's not a championship fight to be five rounds. But this was short notice for both guys. This They wanted this to be, hey, whoever wins this fight is the definitive number one contender. And Bilal, remember the name Muhammad? He came out there and he did what he had to do. Gilbert Burns, I don't know if it happened when he went for that takedown and he braced his arm in the first round, but clearly he messed something up in his shoulder. And it's been revealed that he separated or sprained his AC joint and tore a muscle in his trap. So Gilbert Burns was fighting with a bad left arm the entire fight, basically. And you could see that he, not that he wanted to quit, but he was a little deflated, a little dejected after every round leaving his corner. Just not able to throw the left hand. Still trying to work. But Bilal Muhammad, his game plan was flawless. Where it comes to not pouring it on too much. Because you could say, for maybe the casual fan, you can see that he's hurt. Why not go in for the kill? But that right hand of Gilbert Burns, it was still working. The right hand was still working. And Bilal Muhammad didn't want to get caught with it. So for me, I think that Bilal, was it the most impressive win to say he he's the definitive Number one contender, maybe, maybe not, but he won the fight. And you can only win who's in, you can only beat who's in front of you. So for me, Bilal, if people want to say, oh, he's got to fight someone else, no, 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 no. His resume over the past two years is still better than Kobe Covington's. If it was up to me, he would be fighting Leon Edwards over Kobe Covington because his resume still speaks for itself. He is a guy that's been out here grinding and now happy for him that he's got that opportunity to say he's the number one contender and he can finally say he's getting that title shot that he deserves. And him and Leon, that rematch, that would be great because we all know what happened there with a no contest due to the eye poke. So Bilal Muhammad is now sitting not atop the welterweight division, but he can say that he is next up when it comes to fighting for that title. Another fight that I want to talk about, the end of the prelims that were on ESPN. Drew Dober, a guy that I'm a big fan of, versus Matt Frivola. 
Frivola getting the first round knockout. Now, I know that I had Drew winning this one, but it was one of those fights. You knew that somebody was getting knocked out. When Drew Dover's in the octagon, you know that it's, you know, he's there for a good time, not a long time. So for me, Drew Dover, I like that he still called out Patty Pimblett after the fight where he says, hey, Patty, now that I've lost, will you fight me now? I love that confidence. I love the way that he's able to pivot, able to pivot still after the loss, maybe losing his number 14 ranking, but who cares? Now he's saying, Patty Pimblett, now I should be more. I should be more of an option for you to fight me now, now that I have that blemish on my record. Now that I've lost, now that you see maybe a crack in the armor, now you can fight me. Something else that I've got to talk about in the fight game before we go to break. One of the funniest things you'll see all week. We finally got the first press conference between Nate Diaz and Jake Paul ahead of their boxing fight. But one of the questions was asked from Derek from Better Media, who maybe bit off more than he could chew. Nate, I'm actually a boxer myself, and I've been trying to get into this undercard. Um, I'm just wondering if you think <laughs> I could fight your brother, Nick. If he's anything like you, I think I'd beat his ass. Hmm. Not very respectful. For brother, where are you just going to walk around the streets? Or, or you know, my homeboy see you right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm... That was stupid, I'm, I'm, huh? I'm definitely pretty nervous right now. Yeah, yes, that was stupid. <laughs> What's your name? Uh, I'm Derek from Better Media. Hey, Derek, Better Media. Stupid <laughs> ass, mother... <laughs> you need to have your ass whipped. Hey. I, 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 he, works, he works for my company. I'll, I'll handle nice. that later. I'll fire him later. Nice. I'm sorry about that, Nate. <laughs> Derek, so, shut up. Derek, shut up. All right, sorry. So you see there, toward, at, at first when it started, Jake was getting to laugh at it. Like, oh, that's my employee, Derek. Oh, he's about to razz Nate a little bit. But then Nate took it serious. And we've seen that you don't want to mess around with Nate Diaz jokingly or not. And I love how Jake has to step in at the end. Hey, hey, Derek, shut up. D Derek, shut up. He even said that he was going to fire him. I don't know if he's been fired as of yet, but Derek from Better Media that's just going to be stuck in my head, playing on a loop of just a guy that really didn't know when to shut up. Because every part there just makes it funnier. It just gets funnier. Where it's like, who's this guy that's calling out Nate Diaz that, oh, he should be on this card. He should be fighting Nick. Jake laughs it off. Oh, of course. But then it's, oh, he works for me. Derek, shut up. Derek, shut up. <laughs> Where you can tell. That, dude, th these are not the problems that you want. And Nate basically saying, hey, all my boys are here. My security's here. Where he might actually be in danger. <laughs> Maybe not that Nate's going to retaliate on him like himself. But I wouldn't put it past anybody in Nate's crew that's like, oh, you want to be a boxer. Oh, you think you're a boxer. Catch these hands right now. Cannot put that past him at all or the team. The Diaz brothers are nothing to play with. So um, shout out to you, Derek, from Better Media. Those 15 seconds of fame, I hope they were worth it. I hope that Jake Paul maybe gives him a nice severance package if he does fire him, though. Because, I mean, he was doing it for Jake. He was doing it for the brand. He's trying to be funny. But, man, when keeping it real goes wrong, I guess. Because that was hilarious. You know, Derek from Better Media, the clown of the week. 
but hopefully nothing happens to him when it comes to crossing paths with the Diaz brothers at all. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to Anthony Smith as he's going to be competing against Johnny Walker at UFC Charlotte this Saturday. Maybe, maybe not. It's a fight for the number one contender in the light heavyweight division, but it's still going to be a banger. I mean, the main event, Rosenstrike, Almeida, two heavyweights going to be banging it out. I do think that maybe Anthony Smith should have been the main event. I mean, this is a, a higher ranked fight between the light heavyweight division, but I get it. The heavyweights, you want to see guys bang those big heavies. But we're going to be talking to Anthony Smith when we come back here on The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to The Fight Game with Damon Cotton. And joining me now on the phone lines is Lionheart Anthony Smith, and he is going to be taking on Johnny Walker at UFC on ABC4 this Saturday in Charlotte, North Carolina. Anthony, I've got to ask you, with this fight against Johnny, where do you think that a win here would put you in the light heavyweight division? Uh, you know, I'm not 100% sure. Um, you know, with Alex Pereira coming up to 205, I think that that's an option, but um, I think a, a especially a dominant win over Johnny Walker, I think puts me right in line for a title shot. Yeah, something that I wanted to ask you about, we saw it with Kobe Covington, and you were the previous when it was down in, in, excuse me, in Brazil with the new champ Jamal Hill and Glover Teixeira. You were the backup fighter. Did anything cross your mind of, hey, I was the backup fighter for the last title fight, now I should be the number one contender? Uh, no, because I'm coming off a loss with an injury, so... Um, you know, I gotta, I gotta get myself on the on the right side of the tracks and and get a dominant finish first. And then you mentioned Alex Pereira, how he might be coming up to light heavyweight. How do you think you would fare against him? I'm not saying look past Johnny Walker, but do you think that the hype is warranted with the move up from a guy from 185? Uh, no, I don't think so. You know, there's not very many guys that have moved up from 185 and been extremely successful. I think me and Thiago Santos are kind of the the ones that stand out. Um, as far as Alex's skill set, of course he's a he's an incredible striker. He's gonna, you know, he would have a he would present an interesting set of problems to everyone in the 205 pound division. But I also think that he's got some glaring holes um, that aren't only just problems at 185. They're big problems at 205 as well. So I've got to ask you, I mean, you've mentioned how you, you've been doing the media tour, how it doesn't matter that this is the co-main event now instead of the main event, but would you have preferred this fight with Johnny be a five-round fight? No. No. <laughs> Who wants to fight for 25? Nobody wants to fight five rounds. I don't, I don't care who says that. They're lying to you. Um, I get the same paycheck with the same guy for two less rounds. There's nothing to really complain about. All right, I heard that. Again, we're talking to Anthony Smith here on the fight game on 1230, the game. Something I've got to ask you, I mean, I know that you're basically a radio host. I remember down at the UFC Apex, you were in the media room with us media guys. You're also the co-host of Believe You Me with Michael Bisbing. Has being like an analyst changed the way that you look at fighting when you're in the octagon yourself? No, I got I have to kind of separate those two, those two worlds because if I, you know, if I start overanalyzing my own career and my own skill set, then you kind of like you analyze yourself into paralysis because then then you're thinking too much. So to be a hundred percent honest with you, I haven't watched one minute of one Johnny Walker fight this entire training camp. Um, I let my coaches uh, do that stuff, and I trust every single one of them to uh, to pass on the the pertinent information, and then we just trash the rest of it. You know, if, if I start 
analyzing him, I'm going to imagine things that never happen. You know what I mean? I'm going to be waiting on stuff that may or may never happen. And if I start analyzing myself, I'm really tough on myself. So I'm, I'm never, I never really have the ability to give myself too much credit. So um, I let the coaches do their jobs, uh, and I just listen. And then with the coaches that you've had for this training camp, how has that been? How has this preparation been for Johnny Walker? Uh, it's been awful, if I'm being honest with you. It's okay. been one of the hardest, longest training camps of my life. Um, there was lots of points that I enjoyed, but um, it, it was a really, really hard, really long training camp. Um, so, and I don't mean it as far as it being awful, as in like it didn't go well. It went really well. I'm as good as I've ever been right now, but it, there was a lot of it that wasn't very much fun. Could some of that be that you're training yourself as if it's not so much now as never in your career, but you know that with this win here, you're back in title contention in the light heavyweight division? Um, I, well, I think where I'm at in the light heavyweight division in general, any any win gets me closer. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I, I, I think that all I need is a, is a valid justification and I get right into a title fight. Um, it, I, I think a lot of it's just in my time off, my injuries, uh, I'm just really itching to get back in there. I fought like once a year for the last three years, and I'm typically a guy that's pretty active. So I haven't got to fight as much as I wanted to in the last few years, and it's, it's been really frustrating. So I think a lot of it was excitement. A lot of it is just I have to put a stamp on this next fight. It's less about Johnny Walker and more about the position. Again, we're talking to Anthony Smith here on the fight game, the number five ranked UFC light heavyweight in the division. I've got to ask you this. When I was talking to Gilbert Burns last week ahead of his fight, he mentioned about not so much the training camp and the work that you put in with the coaches, but also the work that he puts in maintaining his mental health. Now, for you, that could be anything from yoga or to actually seeing a licensed professional, but how much work do you put into your mental health heading up into a fight? Man, I'm, I'm half crazy, so um, I have to put a lot of work into that because if I'm not happy and I'm not mentally in a good place, it always shows its ugly face in my fight career. So um, I think my mental health goes in season. I, uh, you know, I let, every, I, I let everything build up. The wheels fall off. I go back to therapy. I fix everything. And then I feel like I'm fixed. And then I stop going to therapy. And then the wheels fall off again. So right now I'm in, like, the, I'm in the upswing. I'm in the good place right now. Uh, and, and I think that's just because of the, the focus and the the, the time and work that I put into just making sure that I'm clear. Uh, obviously, last year was a pretty tough year for me all the way around, so um, I wouldn't I would have made it to this point had I not done that, that, that work. Not to get too deep, but could you give me an example of maybe a fight in your career where you felt you were at your best mentally, mentally and physically, and maybe like me and fight fans can go back and see and like, hey, that's when you, when you felt you were at your best? Um... I was in a pretty good spot uh, around the time I fought, like Rashad, Shogun, and Ozdemir. Um, I was in a pretty terrible spot when I fought um, Alexander Gustafson. So I think you can kind of compare those two performances. I think that would be a pretty easy one. Um, yeah, probably those are probably good examples. And something else I wanted to ask you about, yesterday news broke that you were going to be taking on Glover Teixeira in a grappling match after, the, that's going to be taking place on UFC Fight Pass. When it happened, I wanted to reach out to my contact at the UFC and say, hey, is, did something happen? Is there going to be a change for the fight this Saturday? But I realized that it's just going to be in a grappling match. How did that come about with the UFC? Yeah, so I'm, 
I'm obviously a, a jiu-jitsu guy at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done, uh, like, you know, that quintet event, and, and I've competed quite a bit in just professional jiu-jitsu. So um, it's kind of an excuse for me to make sure that I don't get so out of shape in between fights. I wanted to compete in grappling. The, the, the guys at UFC Fight Pass have always known that I, I would be ready for an opportunity to, to compete as a professional grappler uh, kind of under their banner. And they reached out, and, and there, was a, there was an opportunity, and I took it before I even knew who it was against. Um, they needed, like, a, a, a co-headliner, and, and the timing worked out. It was after this fight. I, I, you know, I can jump right back in and stay in shape. And, uh, and then, I, you know, of course, I heard it was Glover pretty quickly after that. And to be, to be honest, I got, a, I got a lot of respect for Glover. I really like that guy. I think he's a great human. But I kind of owe him one. So uh, <laughs> good opportunity to kind of get one back over Glover. I've got to ask you, because the last time that I was at one of these UFC Fight Pass tournaments, that was my first time watching it, just straight up jujitsu as a whole, just nothing but jujitsu for the entire day. Can you give me that juxtaposition, like competing in a grappling tournament? The, I mean, the crowd experience from a jujitsu tournament to an MMA fight. Uh, I think it's <laughs> like jujitsu matches are, are much more comfortable uh, and they're a lot more fun, to be honest with you, because it's, you know, I'm not one of these guys who's, I'm not a Nicky Rod or a Gordon Ryan or, or, or one of these, you know, Mason Fowlers or any of those huge names. So those guys, that's all they do day in, day out. They're just competing and training in jiu-jitsu. So um, this is their world. So their competition mindset is a lot different than mine. Of course, I want to win, and I'm going to do everything possible to do that. But if I don't, it's not that big of a deal. It's, it's very fun, stress-free competition. Um, and, you know, it's, it's – it's just fun for me. You know, I'm sure that once I, once I retire from MMA, I think that the, uh, you know, the professional jiu-jitsu world is probably going to be my path full-time. But until then, um, it's, a, it's just a lot of fun. And, and training with a, a lot of these, you know, I'm going to go down and spend some time with Mickey Rod and the guys at the B team. And not only am I going to, you know, get much better at just straight jiu-jitsu, it, you know, Nicky Rod does a good job of, at, I don't know, kind of guiding some of those techniques and, and helping you figure out how to, how to implement, implement that into your MMA game. So there's really no, it's a no-lose situation. You know, it, it's not like I haven't taken a loss to Glover before. There's no way it's going to be as bad as that. And uh, I'm going to obviously get better at jiu-jitsu. It's, it's fun competition. It's a nice paycheck. It's, uh, I can't, there's really no negatives to it. All right, Anthony, I only got a couple more questions for you. I've got to ask. I'm not trying to put the clock on you, but you mentioned jiu-jitsu maybe after your MMA career is over. How, much, how many more fights, how much left do you think you have in the tank when it comes to competing inside the octagon? I don't know. I probably got another 15 years in me, I'd imagine. Um, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, man, you, if, you can, if you can be in there at 50, be in there at 50, man. No, nah, you know, I... As long as I'm being competitive at the top, uh, I'll stay. Um, obviously, the goal, the, the goal is, is the title. So um, I've always said that if I won the title, I would defend it until I lost it, and then I'd be done. So I, I'm still going to stick to that. Um, but otherwise, it's world champion or die trying. So let's hope it doesn't take me 15 years. And last one for you, when it comes to you interviewing other fighters, whether it be for the pod or for the radio show, are there any, like, insights that you can take away when, you, when you're talking to these other great fighters of, hey, maybe I can incorporate that to my game? 
Um, yeah, for sure. You know, I, I take pieces from, from everybody I interview, and, and sometimes I, if I have the opportunity, I can pass on some of my own experiences or, or wisdom to some of the younger guys. But what, one thing I've always noticed is that the more experienced veterans, um, they, they don't seem to take this so serious. Uh, and that's something that I've tried to pass along to my teammates and, and, the, and the people that, you know, maybe I can mentor a little bit going down the road. It's not. We have these lights and the cameras and and the microphones and the and the music and the crowds going crazy. And like at the end of the day, we do this every single day. You know, I I I get in fights with world champions in my gym every single day. So it's not that serious. It's just the 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 media and the lights and the cameras and the music and the crowd and and like the whole circus show of it makes it seem like it's a way bigger deal than it actually is. So. Um, I just noticed that a lot of the, the older veteran guys that have, that have been at the top and spent a lot of time there have a very similar mindset to me. It, it, they just don't take it too serious. It's not, they, they don't stress out about it. It's not that big of a deal. Anthony Smith, before I let you go, you're going to be taking on Johnny Walker this Saturday, UFC on ABC4. What do you want to let everybody know listening before you go? Um. I guess I'd just like to let everyone know if you, uh, if you give me 15 minutes of your time on Saturday, I'll make sure that's worth it. And thank you so much for joining me today, man. Thanks, man. And there he goes, folks, Anthony Smith, and he's going to be taking on Johnny Walker at UFC on ABC4 or UFC Charlotte. I don't know what the official hashtag is, but I've seen both being used by the UFC. So if you want to follow the action all day on Saturday, check out those two hashtags, hashtag UFC on ABC4 or UFC Charlotte. But that light heavyweight division is heating up with Alex Padilla coming up. I know that guys like Anthony, guys that have that grappling background, who they could easily look at what happened to Adesanya when he moved up to try to take on Blahovich, where it's, hey, these guys are a little bit smaller coming up from 185 to 205, but I do think that Alex is going to be a little bit different with the weight that he has because he is just such a big middleweight. Or part of the reason why he's coming up to 205 is because I don't think he could just handle those cuts the way he kept doing at 185. So is he going to need to improve his grappling? Yes, he's going to be doing that with his teammate, his coach, his mentor, Glover Teixeira. So that's going to help him out when it comes to the grappling aspects, the wrestling, improving that jiu-jitsu, fighting off of his back, getting up from those takedowns. But 205, it's looking like a good one. We know that Yuri Prohashka and Jamal Hill, that fight is happening for the light heavyweight championship later this year. I think I want to say UFC 292 if I'm not mistaken, but this light heavyweight division it's looking good and for Anthony Smith or Johnny Walker a win here, I'm not saying that they either one could stake their claim as the number 1 contender, but it would be a pretty good bet. You could pretty much say I'm safe in saying I'm calling out the champ for the next fight. I feel like with Kobe Covington, the way that he got his title shot for me, that's why I asked Anthony about it, where, hey, you were the backup fighter. Did you ever just think, maybe I should just say I'm the number one contender? For me, if I get one win inside the top five, no matter which division I'm in, I'm saying I'm the number one contender. Unless it is the Bilal Muhammad, Gilbert Burns situation, where the UFC presents you with the fight of, hey, you win this one, and you are automatically, hey, don't worry about it, you're the number one contender. Maybe that's the only the only time you should be taking that fight. But for me, it's got to be if I beat someone inside the top five, 
hey, I'm the number one contender until the until the title fight happens next and just see what happens. It's like almost calling dibs on that next title shot as soon as you get that win, especially if it's an impressive fashion. So I know that both guys are going to be gunning for that title, and I, they both should be fighting as if it is a number one contender's fight. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the best moments from WWE Backlash in Puerto Rico. Don't go anywhere. This is The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to The Fight Game. And welcome back to The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. And as we close up today's show, we've got to talk about WWE Backlash that took place in Puerto Rico. We're going to talk about some of the highlights, the best moments from that show because it was a banger. One of the best WWE pay-per-views, premium live events, however you want to call them, that they've had in a while. I mean, this stretch, WrestleMania to Backlash, I don't know how they top this, where you see some of the storylines coming from WrestleMania. How are they going to carry over? When Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar started their feud, their Raw after Mania, I was thinking, I don't know. But they delivered, and the match delivered. But we got to start with the first match of the night. Bianca Belair retaining her title, that wall, that Raw Women's title against EO Sky. But the shocker of the night for me, EO Sky, the cheers that she got, you would have thought she was Puerto Rican. But the crowd chanting for EO. And credit to Bianca, worked a little heel in this match, went back to NXT Bianca Belair as she was, you know, controlling the match more than you usually see her do. It was a great match. I didn't like the finish too much when it comes to Damage control coming out. Bailey holding down the braid. The ref sees it. And then she hits EO with the KOD and gets the victory. But man, EO Sky was flawless. And you love to see that. And that's something that you don't know what you're going to get with these different type of crowds, with these international crowds, or you're outside of the U.S. Who knew that the Puerto Rican crowd was going to go crazy for EO Sky as much as they did? I sure as heck didn't, but I'm glad that she got her flowers. You could tell that it meant a lot to her, you know, during the match as she was taking it all in. Not only did she get the big pop during her entrance, but then for the specialty ring announcement that they do for the championship fights, another big pop. So I hope that this shows the WWE that, hey, man, EO Sky, you've got a star in her, the genius of the sky. And then Seth Rollins in, in almost wasn't my favorite match on the card, no, but this was definitely the best match of Omos's career. <laughs> this was the best match for the big man. Seth Rollins went out there and for Omos put on a classic. I mean, that's as good as it's going to get with Omos. It, with Seth freaking Rollins, I mean, what can't he do? We all know that he's probably going to be gunning. We know that after watching Raw. He is the lead-on favorite for that new World Heavyweight Championship. But man, Seth Rollins and almost, like I said, the best match I've seen almost put together inside a WWE ring. Austin Theory, Bobby Lashley, Bronson Reed for that U.S. title. I mean, didn't go 10 minutes. To be honest, I think they could have had the, had the show, had that, had the show exact without having this match on the card. Don't think that this match needed to be on the card, but Austin Theory retains there. Not really one of the highlights. But then Rhea Ripley <laughs> against Zelina Vega. And this was a match, it was shorter than you think because Zelina comes out in tears, has the Puerto Rican flag draped on her, and you're like, wow, this is such a cool moment for Zelina Vega. 
Highlight of the match where she gets the chancla, gets the sandal. Hope I said that right. My Spanish is not the best, of course, but I try. She gets the sandal, throws the sandal at Rhea Ripley. The crowd erupts. Loved that part. Zelina Vega. I know that some people like to say, hey, the WWE, they should have given her the moment where the crowd is hot. We saw it at Elimination Chamber, at WrestleMania, where, hey, change the title. The crowd wants it. They're hungry for it. You can feel them frothing out the mouth for the title change. But just where Zelina Vega's been at, I know the LWO has been white hot. I know that they've been selling T-shirts better than anyone in the business so far since they formed. But Zelina, she's just not there yet. It wouldn't make sense where even if you put the title right back on Rhea this, this Friday on SmackDown, it just wouldn't make sense because Zelina's been so cold. So I think that the standing O that she got after the match, the ovation that she got during her entrance, I think that... That moment meant more, not that it meant more than winning the title would have meant to her in Puerto Rico, but it was just as good for the story that they were able to tell there because Rhea Ripley, they are trying to build her as a dominant champion and you can't have a dominant champion lose in that first defense after winning the title. But Zelina looked like a very worthy competitor and a challenger for that SmackDown Women's Championship. And then the match that I could talk about for who knows how long. The Bad Bunny Damien Priest Street Fight. Jambea, that song has been stuck in my head. I am not the biggest Bad Bunny fan. I understand his global significance. But wow, when Bad Bunny comes out to his own song, the entire crowd singing along. The drone shot that they used. I like the way they even kicked off SmackDown because SmackDown was also in Puerto Rico. The way they kicked off SmackDown with that drone shot, but also using it at Backlash for Bad Bunny's entrance. And you could just see every fan in the audience, every man, woman, and child singing along. Bad Bunny had the place rocking. That's that type of superstardom that you just don't see every day. I know plenty of people have made the comparison. But could you imagine Michael Jackson after Thriller, after Bad, saying, you know what? I want to compete in WWE. Let me uh, get on the WrestleMania card. That's, what, that's the 2023 version of this. Bad Bunny being on a WWE Backlash card, them bringing it down to Puerto Rico off the star power of Bad Bunny. And the actual match, oh, my God. I don't care about your star ratings. Oh, it's a celebrity match, so you got to grave it on a curve. Five stars, I do not care. All the stars in the world, this is an all-timer for me. Wins with the Bunny Destroyer. But throughout the match, Damian Priest also shot himself up, earned himself a couple of more points, where he is definitely a main event guy. Damian Priest carrying Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny not afraid to take any bump. I mean, that spot where he goes through the tables, Bad Bunny putting his life on the line for the WWE. He's letting you know that he is true to this. Bad Bunny putting in that work. Damian Priest carrying him like a pro. And we knew that the shenanigans were going to come. We knew there was going to be some chicanery where the LWO, they've got to come out to fend off the Judgment Day. Dom and Finn Balor, they come out there. 
beating on Bad Bunny. Here comes the LWO. But then, maybe the best part, maybe the pop of the night, Carlito comes out. I spit in the face of people who don't want to be cool. I was watching Backlash with my mother, and my mother jumped out of her seat once Carlito came out, once you heard that music. And all we wanted is, is he going to have an apple? Is He's got to have an apple. He's got to have an apple. And guess what? Carlito had an apple. It felt like it was a good 10 minutes of the back and forth between the LWO and Judgment Day where Bad Bunny and Damian Priest were just out in the ring. But as they're fighting up the ramp, you know, they're going to just run away. But not so fast. Another pop for a Puerto Rican legend, Savio Vega, comes out. And he's moving as well as a wrestler of his age can, considering how hard they win in the 90s. The Attitude Era was not friendly on the bodies. But Savio Vega coming out there, hitting a couple of kicks, Looking great. And the crowd is just going crazy, eating every bit of it up, where it was fantastic. That Puerto Rican crowd loved every minute of it. I loved every minute of it. It got to the point where you thought, oh, yeah, that's right. There's a match still going on in the ring. But I did love the distraction where you had that pop, where you had the LWO. You get those guys over. Because I know a lot of people like to say they haven't been winning anything. But they're giving you moments. The LWO with Rey Mysterio, Carlito, Savio Vega taking down Finn and Dominic Mysterio, which is only getting more heat for those guys. But the finish of the match, the Bunny Destroyer over Damian Priest, I loved it. Where when it comes to celebrity wrestlers, I really don't want to count Logan Paul. Not so much that he's not a celebrity, but he is just such a natural in the ring and he's so good at it. It's almost that if Logan Paul wanted to be on the roster full-time, he could be on the roster full-time. If, you know, if he wasn't making millions with his prime and his impulsive podcast, Logan Paul could just be on the roster. He could be a flat-out WWE superstar. So for me, I don't want to put him in that celebrity category, but that's just how much props I'm giving him. But Bad Bunny, the number one celebrity wrestler of all time, definitely the most entertaining. I mean... What more can you want from a guy? Maybe the biggest music superstar in the world landed all on the line for WWE. And then you had the six-man tag between the Bloodline and Matt Riddle and Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Where I didn't think that the Bloodline was going to win this match. Where it's always, hey, if you guys better win or else, Solo saying, I know I'm going to do my part. But Jimmy and Jay, you guys need to step up. And that part in the match where Solo hits that Samoan spike, and Jay's just behind him a little too much. And he grabs him, and he's going to hit him with the spike. Man, that dissension in the bloodline, I cannot wait to see where that leads. Because I know that some people, it's where could they take this story after WrestleMania? Now that Cody didn't win, we still haven't seen Roman since he won at WrestleMania. But I still like what they're doing with the bloodline. After this, I want to see more of the family squabble between the Usos and their brother Solo Sokoa. And then on Monday night, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, I want to see them just feud with Imperium. Gunther's been out with the shoot wedding. That's why, you know, enjoying the honeymoon time off. But it's been said and the members of Imperium said that he's going to be back next week. I would love to just see Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn feud with Imperium. 
built that up into the next pay-per-view. Because those guys could do magic in the ring together. We saw a little bit of that on Monday night. But, I mean, build a, a real program with that. Well, that's where you could take those guys out of backlash because it is getting a little bit repetitive. The bloodline, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, break them up just a little bit. I don't want to see them going at each other show after show after show. And then the main event, Cody Rhodes, Brock Lesnar, Cody Rhodes. We always say he's the biggest babyface in WWE now. You thought that Raw after Mania, Brock Lesnar, he's turning on him. Is he, is he still going to have his sights set on Roman Reigns? But now I want to see this Brock Lesnar feud until the end of time. <laughs> Where it, it went about 10 minutes. That's, that's a long match for Brock. Cody comes out, he jumps on him. And he is trying to put the beat down on Brock Lesnar. But man, Brock Lesnar getting busted open the hard way. Brock Lesnar bleeding and i know people want to say oh did he blade i don't think that he bladed i think he ate that exposed turnbuckle and he put it all on the line for the business and then you think oh why didn't they put up the x i think brock lesnar is just in a in an own kid his own category maybe every wrestler who's been signed from the with the wwe you just grandfathered in if maybe oh five and and beyond and back you're just grandfathered in if you want to bleed You've earned the right to bleed in the WWE ring. So I mean, maybe Brock's just got that. Where it's, who's going to tell him no? Who's going to really try to stop this match? Because there's a little color in it. And it really added to the match. Cody Rhodes getting that roll-up pin, you can say, reminiscent of Stone Cold Steve Austin and Breath of Hitman Hart. Cody Rhodes gets the win over Brock Lesnar. But Brock Lesnar isn't finished with him yet. And it is still going to be so interesting to see where they go with this feud. Because like I said, Cody, the biggest baby face in the company, and Brock Lesnar. It's a different heel, Brock Lesnar. It's not the same heel, Brock Lesnar, that maybe we saw three, two, three years ago. This is a different iteration of Brock Lesnar. And I'm excited to see the character work that he's going to provide with this new heel run that he's on. That's just about going to do it for us on today's show. I want to say thank you to the UFC and Anthony Smith for joining me on the show. Don't miss UFC Charlotte this Saturday. It's going to be a good one. I'm telling you, light heavyweight co-main, heavyweight main event is going to be some banging. Big beady men bumping meat. Don't you worry about that in the UFC. WWE Backlash was great. Can't talk about it enough. And Derek from Better Sports Media, stay safe out there in them streets, my man. Watch your back. Keep your head on the swivel. Because them Diaz boys, or maybe somebody in the crew, they might be looking for you. Stay safe and protect yourself at all times. 